Welcome to today's episode of the PQI Podcast. Today, we sit down with Sal Botiglieri. Sal currently serves as the Clinical Pharmacy Coordinator in Medical Oncology Services at Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa, Florida. He practices in multiple solid tumor clinics, including the gastrointestinal, head and neck, and endocrine clinic. Some of his interests include clinical pharmacy patient education and virtual health experiences, oral chemotherapy management, and clinical pharmacy administration. Today, we discuss Moffitt's clinical pharmacy program. Well, thank you so much, Sal, for joining us on the PQI podcast today. Uh, to start out, will you please introduce yourself and tell our audience about your current role? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Sal Batigulari. I'm the clinical pharmacy coordinator for our medical oncology practice here at Moffitt Cancer Center. Um, if you're not familiar with Moffitt, we're a NCI, NCCN designated cancer center in Tampa, Florida. Um, we see quite a lot of patients um, here each week. I, have, I know the, the statistics about uh, 2,500 to 3,000 patients. Um, so it's a lot of patients come through our door. So we have a very busy practice, um, but I lead a team here of uh, about 16 clinical specialists um, and they practice in all different areas of oncology um, that includes inpatient and outpatient. So I have a team of five clinical specialists on the inpatient side that um, round on four different medical oncology services. Um, these are more medicine services, but they are solid tumor patients. Uh, we do have a specific chemotherapy service, but very small service, as many of you are aware, less chemo is given on the inpatient side for medical oncology. Um, and then on the outpatient side, we have uh, very specialized oncology clinics. Um, being like different tumor types, head and neck, thoracic lung, um, et cetera. Uh, so we usually have at least one pharmacist in each of those areas as well. Um, and many of the things that they do, maybe that we'll talk more about today include, um, you know, assistance with chemotherapy orders, uh, educating patients, drug interactions, identifying those toxicity management, all, all those types of things that they're involved in uh, directly with the providers and the nurse practitioners and APPs in clinic. Um, a little bit more about me, I guess, you know, I'm uh, originally from New York. Uh, I came down to Moffitt about nine years ago. So I've been here at Moffitt for nine years, originally started as a clinical specialist um, and was promoted about five years ago into my role here. Uh, I originally went to pharmacy school in New York as well, did my residency training uh, at Moses Cohn Health System in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, and my PGY2, I did uh, actually at the University of Kentucky in Lexington, oh. Kentucky. So, um, yeah, I got to see a little flavor of different parts of the country during my training and um, ended up in sunny Florida. Um, some of that was on purpose, uh, just trying to escape yeah. some of the cold weather from the uh, Northeast. <laughs> yeah. So how do you like Tampa? Because I know I'm in Florida, a little bit North Florida, but our, a lot of our team is based um, in the Syracuse, like the, the upstate New York area. So I, I know the winters are a little bit different for us down here than, than up there. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, it was actually an initial adjustment for me because, you know, in, in New York, you do get the four seasons and like yes. in Florida, it's just summer all the time. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, um, you know, that was actually a welcome, you know, adjustment, but, uh, you know, truly I came down here though, to, uh, expand my opportunities in clinical practice. You know, I wanted to find a, a larger academic cancer center to be able to, 
uh, spread my skills better, if you will, or expand on my, my clinical skills outside of residency. So I, I was actually, my first position out of uh, residency was in New York. And I stayed there for a short time and then came down here. Um, I originally started in Orlando uh, and then and then and then came to Moffitt uh, not not too long after that initial move. So okay, very nice. And so I know Moffitt, and we've discussed this in the past because I had a stem cell transplant there um, in two thousand and eight for non-Hodgkin. So I am a huge fan. I, I always say I attribute them with saving my life. So I love the center. But for those who don't know as much about it, will you just give us a little overview? Um, of kind of all of Moffitt and what it does. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, our mission kind of, you know, resonates is to cure and to prevent cancer. So that's, you know, why we're all here. Um, and that's very much true when you come to, you know, town halls and leadership meetings, it's truly embraced by everyone here in the center. So, um, you know, going into a little bit of spirit of Moffitt, um, we're definitely all here for the same purpose to take care of our patients and to cure and prevent cancer. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that I've stayed here so long is that everyone is, you know, definitely here for a common purpose. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Moffitt is a busy cancer center. Um, we're one of the largest in the Southeast. Um, we do see a large number of patients. Um, when you look at the facilities itself, we have our main campus is located on University of South Florida campus. Um, and so we're kind of like right on the corner, there's a healthcare corner um, here on USF and there are other healthcare institutions here on USF campus in addition to Moffitt as well. Um, but we do have on the main campus, we have inpatient facilities. So we have roughly, I think around two to 250 inpatient beds. Um, and most of those patients are going to be a mix of either medicine, so med patients, uh, heme patients or bone marrow transplant and CAR-T or IC service as well, which is pretty, uh, pretty large as well here. Um, on the outpatient side, a majority of our clinics are on the main campus. Uh, so here on the main campus, we have the thoracic campus uh, clinic, we have the GU clinic, uh, we also have uh, head and neck, neuro, and uh, GI, and then uh, the, also the heme clinic is here, which is one of the larger uh, clinic spaces. And then of course the BMT clinic is here. So when you look at BMT specifically, I don't really oversee that area, so I'm not as familiar, but they do have a, um, an outpatient area. So they have an outpatient BMT treatment facility. Um, and then they also have, you know, obviously patients that get admitted and go inpatient for their treatments as well. Um, for our medoc and heme patients, most of those patients are getting treated outpatient. Some heme may be uh, inpatient treatments, but for those that go outpatient, we have our main infusion center, um, which is just next to the BMT treatment center. So they're just kind of separated uh, a little bit by you know maybe 100 feet or so um, between on the same floor. Um, so that's the physical facility kind of setup that we have. We have radiation services um, here on main campus. Uh, as well, and a lot of other different multidisciplinary services that are available in clinic, um, social work, um, dietitians are available in all of our areas, and they have a really good program here at Moffitt for like uh, arts and medicine services and supportive services. We have a great AYA or young adolescent adult patients um, uh, service as well, um, so that's something that's great here. Um, we also have been expanding. So 
in addition to the main campus, we do have three other campuses now um, with the most recent addition being our Wesley Chapel campus. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that are not familiar, Wesley Chapel is just north of um, the downtown Tampa area, maybe about 40 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour, depending on traffic. Um, but their, their, their campus is attached to um, an Advent Health facility. So they have an inpatient Advent Health facility, and then we have an outpatient Moffitt Center there. Uh, and, and that is strictly outpatient. So they do see a mix of different solid tumors as well as heme patients there. And they have a infusion center there as well. Um, our, our next largest center besides the main campus is probably our McKinley campus. And that, that building is all outpatient. It is a six story building. And there are other, there are some key programs there. We have our breast program. Uh, we have the cutaneous program and also senior adults. So those are areas where I have clinical pharmacists, um, staff, uh, specialists uh, working as well. We also recently moved the GYN program over there. So there's, um, there's the, that program there as well. Uh, we also have an outpatient infusion center there. So most patients that are seen in those clinics do tend to go to the infusion on that campus but all of our patients can go to any of the infusion centers regardless of where they're seen within the system. Okay. Um, we are building a hospital just across the street from the outpatient McKinley campus and their bridge is actually already built and connected to the building. Um, so there's gonna be a walkway to a new inpatient facility. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't know the numbers on that facility, but it is around six or seven story um, building. Um, and most of the patients on, in that facility are going to be uh, medonc surgical patients. Um, and so we're trying to shift patients a little bit more over to that facility to allow some more space for heme medicine and um, BMT patients on the main campus. So it's kind of just shifting a little bit and our volume has been growing too, so. A lot of growth there, so. Yes. 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 And we have we have one more campus at um, near the airport, too. So it's a smaller facility, our Moffitt International Plaza um, facility and our heme coordinator, our heme pharmacy coordinator, actually, that, that pharmacist um, reports to her because um, they do have a mix of heme and um, solid tumor patients there as well. That, that practice, the MIP practice, more models what I think you would see in a community practice, um, you know, type of type of area. Yes, very nice. And you have the retail, the um, specialty pharmacy as part. Of course. <laughs> How could I forget the? So our specialty pharmacy um, has actually recently grown here at Moffitt. So we they're located on the main campus. Um, and uh, that team is led by Sophia Alfonso. Um, and she's uh, grown the specialty pharmacy to basically um, out provide specialty medications to for all specialty drugs at, at, for all of our patients here. Uh, we also have a, a Publix pharmacy too. So most of our patients will get um, like their oral chemotherapy or oral specialty meds through our specialty pharmacy. But then a lot of times because we have a, patients admitted, you know, they may be going home on antibiotics or supportive medications. And so typically the public's pharmacy on site helps um, dispense and provide support for the patients in that way. Okay. There's also a public's pharmacy at McKinley. So some of the supportive prescriptions are going there as well. But in general, most of our specialty meds go to, um, to the specialty, the Moffitt specialty pharmacy. 
Okay. Very nice. Public. Our, uh, we love public. So <laughs> yes, our, our Moffitt specialty pharmacy actually recently is working on accreditation. Um, okay. I, I believe they're, they're, they're working on UROC accreditation, which is coming up in the fall or before the end of this year. Um, and they, they do have some new systems for some uh, clinical drug monitoring um, that they're doing as well. And, and maybe we'll talk more about this, but one of the things that I'm proud of is how we work in concert with that, with that particular team. So, you know, my team is more of the clinical specialists in the clinic, um, working directly with the providers and her team is, you know, obviously doing some phone calls and other visits with patients and, you know, as they pick up their medications, but working with them together, uh, you know, as far as coordinating their medications go. Very nice. Thank you. And then I know you touched on your pharmacy services um, earlier, but you have really worked to build up those clinical pharmacy services. And I know some of the oral, oral chemo in specific. Um, so can you talk to me more about what your program looks like there, kind of how you've worked to build it up and may, maybe where you see it going in the future as well? Sure. Yeah. So that can be a long-winded question <laughs> or answer. Um, I could touch on a couple of things. You know, when I first started in my role here, the main, the main uh, pieces of our clinical practice um, for their clinical specialists were uh, really dosing chemotherapy orders, mostly supporting the infusion center, um, as well as some patient education and drug information was a key part for the clinic and the providers in the clinic and helping like with questions related to supportive care management and toxicity support. That was kind of how it was when I, when I started maybe nine, you know, nine years ago. Um, and since then, um, in my current role, I feel like we've really pivoted a lot and uh, expanded on some of those services that we now provide for patients. So the big part of that is the oral chemotherapy management. So we, we've come up with a process in concert with um, our nursing colleagues, our physician assistants and nurse, nurse practitioners and our oncologists to provide a comprehensive program to take care of patients receiving oral chemotherapy or specialty medications. So the way that process works is that patients, um, when they're seen in clinic, they you know, receive a prescription from a provider. Usually the provider will either tell us or we have a, a reporting tool so we know when prescriptions are sent and we, we screen them uh, based on risk factors. So my team is not able to counsel and talk to every new patient because of the volume, but we do screen them for different risk factors. Like are they on medicines that may have drug interactions? Are they on high-risk anticoagulants, antiarrhythmic medications, HIV medications, or maybe they're on um, medications in concert with IV drugs, like we're seeing that more in common practice with IO combinations that can maybe be a little bit more confusing for the patient on how to take. So that, those are the patients that we really um, try to focus on. And um, if, if they meet the criteria, typically we would set up a, uh, a virtual health appointment for those oral chemo patients. Um, and then we would set that up, talk to them within a two week interval and um, kind of go over all of the counseling points with them and as well as review their med list and do a comprehensive you know, drug interaction review. So that is something like brand new that we're doing in our practice, maybe the last two, three years that we've been doing that now. Um, and like I said, we do this in concert with 
uh, the specialty pharmacy. So they're able to see that we may have done some of those educations, which can count um, for them as well, and vice versa. If they're also doing them, then we may not you know, be flagging that patient to do an education. Okay. But basically, once this initial education is done, we kind of pass them off to our nursing colleagues. And so um, sometimes the nurses, by the way, will also do initial education. A lot of times that's in person. Um, but then uh, the follow-up part is really more on nursing. So as far as like the adherence pieces, toxicity pieces. And if they do have um, toxicity issues, um, a lot of times the nurses will tell us in clinic or they may shoot us a message in our portals. Um, so we can see that in our message center and uh, we can reach out to the patient directly and help support toxicity management in concert with the providers as well. So that's definitely like a team approach, you know, for managing these oral chemo patients. So by far, probably like the most proud thing that I have to share is like this whole new process that we've done. But honestly, you know, the other thing is virtual health is, is a great resource that we've been able to provide to patients as well. Um, in particular, you know, we just had more access to patients. They, they've really embraced this and enjoyed this. And I think for our discipline as pharmacists is a key tool um, because uh, right away when we started doing these appointments, we noticed the value because they're, they're, in, they're in their home they have their medicines with them. So if they're not sure what they're taking, they go in the bathroom and they can show us the bottle, but they also have their family join too, because they can send the links to family so they all can listen. And it's a really wow. easy way, you know, if like they're, let's say you have, you know, a retired dad and their daughter's at work um, and the daughter wants to join the appointment, you know, they can, and she doesn't have to, you know, take a day off from work. So it's been very, um, very helpful for our patients um, rather than them having to come in person. So, you know, that's why I kind of wanted to, to share that. It's something that we've, we're really proud of here at Moffitt to do these, these virtual appointments. No, yeah, I think that's great. And especially, like you said, if, if you have someone who maybe doesn't live in the area, um, can be a little bit easier than having to come back for, for an appointment. Yeah. Or even yeah. if they do and they don't want to fight Tampa traffic, so. Yes, this is true. Yes, if you're not familiar with Tampa, it can be very, you know, you asked me about next directions. Maybe that's what you were going to ask me. You know, I think future directions, you know, particularly related to both the oral chemo and the virtual health piece kind of ties the two together mm -hmm. for me is that I like, um, we would like to bill for our service for like MTM therapy. Um, yeah. We also would like to actually kind of take charge more of some of the low hanging toxicity management pieces. Um, for example, you know, grade one diarrhea on a TKI or, you know, skin rash, things like that, that um, a patient messages in the portal, we can receive those messages and set up a virtual appointment with them, manage, you know, the toxicity and make recommendations, potentially send prescriptions and um, kind of you know, follow up with the provider to, you know, kind of put drop in a note, let them know what we've done, those types of things. So we do have some uh, protocols that we've worked on, like, for example, nausea and vomiting. And I think there's an opportunity to expand some of those and work under like a protocol type of agreement. Okay. So, so those are the things that we'd like to do in the future, for sure. I think those are great. And get, getting reimbursed for what you're, the work that you're already doing is right. very beneficial. So right. help. Um, and so are you seeing any barriers with the virtual health? Um, or, you know, how are you overcoming if someone may not have access like to 
a computer. I feel like everyone does these days, but I am aware that that's not, that's not always the case. So. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm um, certainly, um, those situations do come up. Um, we do have, as I mentioned earlier, we have a senior, senior adult program. And so she, that pharmacist did want to start a virtual health process. And so she does have um, a, a schedule to provide some virtual health services to our patients. Um, but there's not actually a lot of patients that are, are doing it in the senior health, uh, senior adult area. And I think it kind of speaks to one of your barriers, you know, just the, the patient population maybe is not as comfortable with it. Certainly some are, but some are not. And so when we put in, uh, whenever like if a nurse or a provider, or if we're putting in the consult order for an appointment with us, um, it's put in in a manner that allows the patient to select virtual or a phone appointment. So, okay. so we're still able to like, if it just helps to be on the schedule. So we have set aside time to call them. Um, and then we just, you know, pick up the phone and call them um, to, to do the same appointment that we would do on a virtual uh, platform. Okay, very nice. And then, so if there are other centers who are trying to build, um, build up their services or build out a program, do you have any tips for them and what you've learned in the last few years? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing that I learned as we grew in our services was um, for us specifically, because we're a larger center, was to roll things out gradually. Okay. So for both the virtual health and for some of the oral chemotherapy practice, uh, we did it clinic by clinic. Um, we didn't just like turn on a switch and have the entire center do this process because we knew that specifically for pharmacy that our clinical specialist time would be cons would be taken up by these new processes from both virtual appointments, like learning how to do it, getting familiar with it, spending more time with patients, but then also the oral chemotherapy would, would take up um, some of their time, you know, just going through the workflow, identifying patients and things like that. So we actually kind of started with um, the oral chemo practice first, because that was kind of prior to COVID. And um, the virtual health kind of came out after that. And that was um, kind of because of COVID, but it was a good reason, honestly, to, to do it. Um, but we did it slowly in each clinic. So we didn't bombard them with two things at once, for example, um, but they also could get adjusted and used to their workflow of doing those things. And we learned you know, things that didn't work and, and fix them. So for example, uh, with the oral chemotherapy, uh, we, we learned better ways to identify our patients. We had a report that um, wasn't optimized and we fixed that as we you know, rolled it out and we now have it automatically gets sent to our inbox every week. So it's much easier for my team. They don't have to like manually do anything. It just comes to them um, you know, each week. Uh, the same for virtual health. We, there was a lot of training involved, a lot of disciplines outside of pharmacy, um, like patient access and scheduling and um, just a lot of different, you know, we have a virtual health department here. Um, so they were obviously involved in this and all, all different different things that I, that I learned that I didn't know about, you know. So um, that's why I said definitely you know, do things gradually, I think that helps because you, you'll you identify the barriers and then kind of quickly be able to resolve them and provide the proper training too. It's a great, a great tip. Thank you. 
Um, and then I know you talked about working closely with your nurses. And I, I think from, I know we've worked together on a PQI in action and the physician just had wonderful things to say about the pharmacy, but how important is the multidisciplinary team to treating cancer patients? Yeah, so it's extremely, it's extremely important. And, and uh, I think we're a highly effective team here at Moffitt. Um, obviously, every clinic's a little bit different. I still practice in um, GI, head and neck and endocrine spaces, although I do think I'm a jack of all trades because I cover everyone's vacation too. So but yeah, it is very important because as I mentioned, like just some of the process that processes that we talked about today, you know, there there's different disciplines that I think focus on different things. You know, I think nurses generally identify best with some of the uh, adherence and um, uh, toxicities, you know, at least being able to identify and assess them for these things. Um, I think as pharmacists, we better uh, identify and support, um, you know, dose reductions and like how to manage those or supportive care things like what to recommend um, when patients have issues. Um, I think both nursing and pharmacy bring a lot to the table from education. And so we support that you know, a nurse and a pharmacist should meet with every patient in, in an ideal world. And that, um, you know, there's different things that both of our disciplines focus on as well. Um, and not to forget the APPs. So we work with APPs a lot in our clinics, um, both physician assistants and nurse practitioners. And, and honestly, a lot of that work is because they're seeing patients a lot through their treatment. So they're seeing the toxicities, they're seeing the issues, they're seeing maybe access issues too. And so we have to support them, you know, if their you know, insurance denies something, like how can we help them with either patient assistance or other things that we may have to get involved with, you know, just to help them while they're with the patient, things like that, that come up a lot. Um, we mostly work with the oncologists, you know, if they're trying to make treatment decisions and, you know, maybe put a little voice in their ear and say, you know, would you consider this over that, you know, but that, that's generally how our practice works is, uh, you know, I think everyone brings something different to the table and we all have to work um, together again for the better of the patient. Yes, for sure. And then what is your favorite part of your job there? Uh, I mean, I, I think, I think there's a lot of things I can say, but I think if you ask the the absolute favorite thing is is it all ties back to the patient for me. I think truly that is why I went to, to be a pharmacist. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but, no, um, no. but I do really care for our patients here. And um, especially in oncology, as many of you that might be listening to this know, they go through a lot. They go through a very complex system and they have to navigate that, which is not always easy. Um, and so I think as a pharmacist and for some of the things that, we're able to do here at Moffitt, uh, we make that maybe just a little bit easier for them. And that's meaningful to me that they're able to take their medicine, they can get access to their medicine. And, and you know, if that provides, you know, overall, you know, survival benefit, you know, symptom benefit, that's, that's meaningful for, for them and their lives, right? And, and their outcomes. So that's truly what I think, you know, is one of the most favorite things that I get to do is to meet with patients every day. But I will tell you the second most thing is I really enjoy working with the team here at Moffitt. Um, I, I really enjoy my team here and I feel like we've led 
um, to grow things so much uh, in just you know the last five years um, has been a tremendous. Even with growing volumes, we still are able to accomplish a lot that I'm very proud of. That's that's fantastic, and it, it's not cheesy, but I I love it that you love the patients and you love your team. So it's very important. And then I have a couple of final questions that we ask all of our podcast guests, unless you have anything you would like to add as a closing thought before those last couple of questions. No, I mean, it, it's just been great, um, you know, to hear, uh, to be able to talk today and, um, you know, share some of my, you know, insight and my experience uh, here at Moffitt and what, what things we've been doing, you know. Um, it's always great to network and meet with people with ENCODA and other organizations. I think it's uh, the support that, that you all offer to us is also very important. You know, speaking to a little bit, I guess, on the PQI that we worked on and, and, and have done, you know, we, we do uh, appreciate the value and the support of those as well. Um, and especially, actually, I didn't mention that we do use the, the uh, chemo ed sheets quite a bit here at Moffitt. I know a lot of the team members especially use the oral ones um, to help uh, go through the, the toxicities with patients. You know, that's um, actually one of the things that you can do on virtual health is share your screen. So you can kind of show wow. the handout, which is what we that's do. And we, yeah. and we go through it with them and they kind of follow along. And then we usually send that to them in the portal. Um, afterwards and say, here's a copy, you know, and I can tell you there are several times that I've been, that I have met with patients and they asked me specifically for a copy of the handouts because um, they, they feel like they um, simplify things a little bit more for them um, versus, you know, maybe some other more complex handouts. That is fantastic. So with that being said, you, you kind of answered one of my questions. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. We call it this the PQI podcast to bring awareness to this positive quality intervention resource. And I know um, you participated in the PQI in action, like for cell percatinib, but what value do you see in the PQI resource itself for others? Yeah, I think one of the easiest things to take out of it is the um, toxicity and dose management pieces, okay. um, because it's a very quick snapshot that is nicely put together, um, that like if you're with a patient and you want to just like quick get the, you know, um, the quick answers to things, I think that is very helpful. Um, even in your practice, it could be very helpful, you know, if you keep them, you know, on your desktop or in a folder, um, those are, you know, quick resources that you can uh, open up when you get questions or if you have a patient with a toxicity that you can easily refer to. Um, so I think that for me is, is very, very helpful. Um, you know, I think you also, there's also the biomarker ones that are available to understand some of the testing implications. And I think those are also helpful because as pharmacists, I think sometimes we get um, less education, especially from pharma companies, maybe on some of the biomarker details. Mm -hmm. um, so this does help supplement some of that information. I think like just as far as how do you test for this biomarker, where you might see it in different um, reporting, you know, in the chart and or how it's reported, how it's tested, things like that. That's great. Thank you. And then as our final fun question, um, if you could sit down to dinner with anyone in history or alive, so basically Gosh. anyone ever, <laughs> um, who would it be and why? And then I also am tacking on what would you have to eat? So I know you were just on an amazing trip. <laughs> amazing food. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I can easily answer the who I would, uh, what I want to eat, because that that is definitely an easy answer for me. So if you guys can't tell by my name, I'm uh, definitely an Italian guy. So um, we did get to just go on it. My wife and I just went on a, a almost three week trip to France and Italy. So um, I would probably say my favorite meal is from Italy. Um, and it's, I know it's again, kind of cheesy, but it's pizza, honestly. It's just, the pizza is so good. Uh, so like, uh, especially Southern Italy, I really uh, enjoy um, enjoy the, 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 just the freshness of the pizza. But I mean, I also am a pasta fan. So that would be my second, my second favorite. Um, and I, we actually had the opportunity to do some cooking classes and I learned oh, how we learned how we learned how to make some of the stuff. Yes. Yeah, so we, yeah. we actually have a get together in a few weeks with some friends. So we're going to make some, some Italian oh, dishes. That's so fun. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think though, the other... now the hard part. So <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think who I want to sit down with. Mm -hmm. So I, I think if uh, the, the question about who to have dinner with, so it would be uh, for me, George Lucas, uh, so the creator of Star Wars, and I really don't have a good reason except for the fact that I'm a nerd and I'm a Star <laughs> Wars nerd, um, and I have not gotten the chance to go to Star Wars yet at Disney. Uh, um, yeah, it'll, it's on the list, but I have two little ones, so it's kind of yeah. hard. Uh, it's a little bit too old for that, you know, too, too yeah. old specific, you know. <laughs> You um you need to go there and you don't need a reason for Star Wars. It's okay. We we all understand. But yes, my 10-year-old, we took him in the spring and he loved it. So you need to get there and, and go see it. Yeah, I heard it's a pretty cool experience. So it's definitely on my list. Good. And you're close. So yep, yep. Um, but thank you so much, Sal, for joining us on the podcast today. I like I said, love Moffitt and love the things that you're doing there and keep doing wonderful things for your patients. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Sal. To download this podcast, you can search the PQI podcast on Spotify and Apple and remember to subscribe. You can listen on our website at encoda.org. That's encoda.org. You can also follow us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We would like to thank Encoda for making this podcast possible. Tune in next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.